Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Welcome to IAB There. My name is Brad Behrens. I am the Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for sharing your afternoon with us on IAB There. It's our daily live stream where we're trying to connect the digital advertising ecosystem together, remind people that we're all still out there and have some good conversation along the way. Today's topic, uh, it is Wednesday, April 22nd. Today's topic is advanced television in the world of coronavirus. And I am delighted to invite Dave Morgan, the CEO of Simul Media and an old friend of mine to join me in just a moment. While we're bringing Dave onto the stream, we have the ability for you to pose questions to him and to me. Uh, to do that, please go onto Twitter and tweet to us using the hashtag IAB there, all caps, one word. Once again, IAB there, all caps, one word, in order to pose questions. Uh, and we'll get to them uh, as soon as we can. Dave is joining us in just a few seconds. Uh, and uh, we're going to dig in on uh, his history on uh, advanced television, on what he's seeing in Simul Media's data as, as so many things are shifting so quickly uh, and so consistently. So, uh, one more time as we're waiting, IAB there is uh, the hashtag. Uh, and here he is, Dave Morgan. Welcome to IAB there. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brad. I'm excited to be part of this. So, so let's start. You are a, uh, you're a, a, what we might call an entrepreneur recidivist. You, you founded three companies, uh, Real Media, Takoda, and Simul Media. And I, I'd love to know two things. One is, you know, how are they, how are they the same and how are they different? And, and the follow-up is, if you can go back in time to 1995, when you first started uh, uh, Real Media uh, or to 2001 uh, with Dakota, like what would, you, what would you tell younger Dave? And so, so like what, because it's been, there's been a through line. What is that? And, and again, what advice could you give to your younger self? Well, they've always, they've all been about how do you bring technology to make advertising better? <clears throat> And the first in real media was really at the formation of, of web and web content and web advertising. Um, that was sort of a plumbing oriented business. <clears throat> How do you build the infrastructure and services to serve the right ad at the right time? Dakota was about what is the right ad, behavioral targeting. How do you determine the right ad? And Simul Media has been about how do you bring it into the living room and TV, which for those of us that are old enough to remember in the early nineties, it was really all about the TV. I mean, it, the, the personal computer and the online world wasn't really ever expected to be a dominant platform. It was expected to be a, a transition layer. And so, you know, for me <clears throat> in sort of way by the simul media is sort of like getting back to the beginning and thinking about how is it that you will order a, you know, a pizza from your couch from the TV. Um, what would I tell the, the young Dave back in late 94, 95 and starting Real Media in a, when an elevator pitched Brad Burnham in the Hyatt, the Dallas Hyatt from the 14th floor to the ground floor? Um, well, first, yeah. I guess I would hope I would have the restraint not to give myself any advice if I could, because you know, I, I'm not a believer in second guessing. And I certainly am very fortunate with how the 20, last 25 years have treated me. I mean, I met my wife, had my family, met so many amazing friends like you along the way. Um, so I'd be afraid like one of those science fiction movies, I'd set it off on the wrong track. 
Um, probably, <clears throat> if there was something I would want to say, it might be to say it's it'll be all right because when you run startups and certainly the moments we're going through right now with the coronavirus um, uh, uh, crisis, this terrible public health crisis, there's a lot of bad moments and um, yeah. and <clears throat> you know. 9-11, the dot-com bubble burst, sometimes they're just financial, sometimes they're personal. Um, we, so I guess I would hope to tell myself it's going to be okay. But then again, as an entrepreneur, probably some of the best work I've done has been when I've been scared to death and gone to, gone to bed or not gone to bed, <clears throat> concerned that when I got up in the morning, the business might not be there. So, right. so anxiety you know, can, be, can be enabling in that way. Yeah, I just read a great piece. Our, our mutual friend, Tom Deerline, a longtime industry veteran and extraordinary leader um, shared about that, which is anxiety can be debilitating, but it can also be enabling. And I think that's one of the things that being a veteran teaches you, um, but it does hurt. And I guess the other thing I would say is, in addition to it's gonna be all right, um, don't worry, the, me the memory of the pain fades. You know, you know it hurt, but you can't remember how much that hurt hurt. Right. That that's uh, that's that's what women in childbirth uh, are hoping uh, later on. So, um, uh, okay. So, um, one of my great and abiding regrets from my time as the editor in chief of iMedia Connection was that I could never detach you from Media Post, where you've been a columnist, I think, weekly for many many years. Uh, and uh, I always wanted to steal you and never could. So, you know, kudos to them for, for holding on, on to you. Uh, in January, you wrote a piece that I just loved, which was about video games. And you were talking about video games, certain kinds of video games as, as a logical home for premium television style creative. So can you, can you walk us through what we were thinking was, sort of what's the argument there and, and, and what were you thinking as you wrote it? Sure. So... <clears throat> the way I've thought about my startup companies and the products we've launched have always been trying to look out a little bit. And in my, in my mind, you know, most of the things that happened were pretty predictable. And I'm not saying that I'm prescient. I'm not, I just, you know, I was trained as a lawyer. So I probably have a little bit more of a focus on pattern recognition. And I, I don't see myself as an advertising expert. So I don't let my own, that's a ego around advertising get in the way. I just sort of try to see how the trends are rolling out. And it seems to me that, Sight, sound, and motion advertising that envelops someone uh, is extraordinarily powerful. It's the best kind of advertising there is. It is funded the most, and it is essential for essentially a, com a commerce capitalist-driven economy. TV advertising has had the bulk of that money, um, but TV viewing has plateaued over probably, probably four or five years ago and has been on the decline and significantly on the decline among very young audiences. And, and while there is streaming over the top video viewing today, the vast, vast, vast majority of it does not contain ads. I think right now about 22% of all video viewing on a TV screen is streamed. Hmm. But only 3% of the ads on a TV screen are streamed. Sure. Because services like Netflix and most of Hulu and, and um, Amazon Prime don't carry ads. So if you want to reach young people watching video on TVs, you don't have many choices. They aren't, if, if you want to get them with ads, you don't have many places to go. The one place where there's a massive amount of them in highly engaged video environments on TVs are premium video games, not the casual games on the 
the phone, but the top games coming through consoles. And the biggest phenomenon there is free to play. That increasingly those games, they don't pay a license fee and the funding ultimately comes out of what they call live services or microtransactions where you pay for a new kind of shield or a, Right. Uh, uh, upgrades at Fortnite, uh, you know, new guns, yeah. all that kind getting of getting respawned if you're killed early. Yeah. Um, there has been advertising in the video, in the gaming world, but in the mobile world, it's really become polluted with a lot of fraud and it's not a very high quality, it's low cost per thousands. Um, but in the in the in the console world, it's a great op most of the advertising is very unscalable. It's um, it's like banners in the in a in a wall around a soccer stadium or it's um, integrations inside of um, costumes, which you can't really run tens of billions of dollars of ads in. And so it seems to me that there's an opportunity to integrate OTT gaming into the TV ad ecosystem, just as OTT movies and OTT um, TV shows have been and to put full screen ads. I think you've got a question of a sort of interesting question. The insight from your column that I really liked was just this notion of cadence that if you, I have a 14 year old gamer here in the house. And if you're, if you're dealing with call of duty or, and other first person shooters or, or just most of the games uh, that are sort of highly immersive, there are these moments uh, where you can pause uh, where mm -hmm. there's a natural pause and you can insert a 30 second break into it where yeah, it would actually not be disruptive to the experience. It would it would be part of a natural pause uh, already. So yeah. it's actually even an upgrade over professional sports where if you're in the stadium watching a college football game and suddenly everything stops for two minutes and everybody's looking around, yeah. uh, that's somewhat frustrating. Yeah, and you also, the other thing that's really critical is there's already an infrastructure and a currency to give value directly to the gamer. People talk a lot about people's attention and wanting to value it and to give microtransactions. Well, all the games have microtransactions. Many of these companies are generating a billion dollars a quarter on microtransactions, but only two to 10% of their gamers pay. The other 90 to 98% don't. So if you actually had a way for 10, 20% of those gamers to accept those ads and get some points that they could use for the cosmetics or capabilities or an upgrade, I think it would be a win-win. And I think that you would have a lot of acceptance. And I think the most, most, most important thing in that area and is that if we try to push that model forward and do it the way we're doing it in digital advertising today, including on the OTT environments, which is we basically open up a dynamic hole into a user experience and we let a third party coming through an exchange bid one penny more 10 milliseconds before and get that ad opportunity and, mar and, and message to that person, it'll be dead on arrival. I think that we have to go back to what we did early in the online world where we had a very publisher-centric, user-centric focus, a curation of ads. We actually made real determinations on what are the best ads at a high value. We maintain scarcity and we don't open them up to secondary markets to retrading. In some ways, on the surface, that seems to fly in the face of the simul media model, which is, or I mean, back in the Dakota days when it was it was people, uh, not not pages. And yet, you know, here you seem to be making a case for a higher degree of uh, sort of contextual relevance and awareness. Well, I think it's yeah. I I mean, I work within the linear TV world, so I guess I've had to find a, I've had to find a balance between that, 
which is a contextual relevance and an audience concentration that's consistent with the advertiser. I think one of the things that exists in the gaming world today is if you think of each of the games more like a TV show, not even a TV network, they tend to have very tightly defined um, gamer communities that um, are, are quite separate from each other. And they're not, you know, there's not this con, you know, they're, they, they tend to be very specific. And so I think you can sell them like the audience of a Final Four game, knowing that you actually have a pretty consistent younger male audience in some cases, depending on what it looks like. But um, yeah, I think the most important thing actually in audience-based advertising is that it doesn't mean open advertising that anyone gets to buy an ad, because I think that's one of the things the TV industry has done really well. It's maintained real scarcity and preciousness around its inventory. And, you know, I'll tell you, we were, um, we, we managed the advertising for Dollar Shave Club and we were, we were putting some ads on one of the largest TV networks, a large broadcast network. And we got stuck for a week in, um, in the approval process and legal hmm. and all of their normal, um, uh, in, their, in their policy. And the big question was, um, who is this company that you can't, that could, it's some fly-by-night company that could sell razors directly to consumers? Like no one in that, in the, in the policy department had ever heard of Dollar Shave Club. And then we had to explain it was actually owned by Unilever. <laughs> well, but I actually, uh, hold on, that, there's something kind of lovely about that, which is, I mean, unless yeah. I'm misunderstanding, what I'm hearing is that the network was actually concerned about the, the consumer's welfare and making sure that this was not something uh, 100%, 100%. Wow. And, and that is no different than how a lot of the, the, the publisher specific, how the NewYorkTimes.com was built and weather.com and iVillage, there was a real focus on the advertiser. In fact, you pro- you would remember that when um, Amazon first introduced ads onto the Kindle, Jeff Bezos personally approved every ad, and he did yeah. it. I think for two years. Yeah. Because he was worried about the Kindle readers. I mean, I was a, a lawyer in the newspaper industry, and I did pre-publication advertising review, and there were enormous issues in checking the creditworthiness the Better Business Bureau ratings of every new advertiser that came to the paper. The worst thing you could do would be to have taken the money from an advertiser who turned out to be um, fraudulent. And as you and I know, there's not a lot of fraud checks going on um, at most of the exchanges before those um, those advertisers can buy it. If you have a credit card, you can buy an ad. And I think we have some strong consumer research that suggests that people in some ways uh, trust that the ability to advertise, I think large, more, more true in premium ex, uh, environments uh, is an indication of the stability of the enterprise. So if someone can afford yes. to advertise in on the New York times.com or on a television show that's popular, that the act of advertising is a validation that the company is going to be there for a while. Uh, just to getting back to video games for a second, I want to transition into sports, which is, you know, uh, there's this uh, kind of, industry meme floating around, which is, or even maybe just a, a burning question, which is, uh, are we gonna see some of the, the, the money that is currently not being spent on sports? And there's a lot of it, uh, where's that gonna go? Um, uh, where do you think it's gonna go? But specifically, uh, do we think there's a, any hope for esports? And esports is, which is building an extraordinary audience and a valuable one. Uh, so there's no doubt about that. But my question is, do we think that sports audiences 
might gravitate towards esports with advertising dollars following. Do you have any uh, any idea about this? I there's there's a lot of hope around that. Um, I, I break that apart in a few places. I think the first place that the TV dollars on sports go are to <clears throat> other TV shows first, because the, the, the sports networks and sports um, distributors tend to be owned by the same companies. So that's where those budgets are. They're looking for specific audiences and there's a really, really significant replaceable scale in TV that's consistent with what was gonna be in these live sports events. Outside of that, we haven't yet seen as big as platforms like Twitch are, and I'm a big fan of Twitch and our, our friend Walker Jacobs, who's now the chief revenue officer yeah. there. Um, I'm a big fan that it will have a significant role in esports, will have a significant role in this. I think the questions it face are not on like the YouTube issues, um, which are you have a lot of user generated content. A lot of the volume tends to be of players playing not sort of the name players necessarily mm -hmm. that are that are the that are the ones driving the headlines um and you have a massive amount of spoofing you know if you look if you break down some because it's ego-based and there's no control on it so if i really want my twitch number to go up it's not hard to find a way to put a bunch of a bunch of calls on a bunch of aws servers and have it make it look like it's watching me so you know i think i'm really and this is one of the things i know that twitch is doing and, and walker's been um getting out in front of is bringing in Nielsen and Comscore to bring in third-party measurement and things like that. So I think that the, to the direct question, will esports be at least a somewhat replacement? Yes. Um, will it be the same? I don't know yet because I think it's gonna take a while till we see um, the kinds of, um, of stars and 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 things in that gaming environment that we've seen in the more conventional sports, but we're going to see a more fragmented, like, world anyway replacing it. So that will have a a component part. But I think what will be critical for those TV ad dollars will be massive scale sight, sound, and motion environments that they can take over and own, and independent third party, most likely panel based measurements. Uh, I had a spirited debate with my uh, my 14 year old son who is a gamer, but also an athlete, he, he rose. And I was asking him if he thought that uh, college sports might find some of the kind of college, uh, you know, college spirit in, in a move to esports. Because in addition to professional sports, you know, being gone and as colleges are moving online, uh, rallying around the flag for the home team, uh, you know, at the football stadium isn't happening right now. He was profoundly skeptical that uh, that college sports uh, could move over into esports. So I just didn't know if you if you wanted to respond. I, I, to that I know one, there's so. I know there's there's many a number of large universities that are sponsoring esports teams, and I know they're seeking NCAA um, certifications. NCAA is talking to them. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I'm I'm heartened to know that as a 56 year old that I actually am not too far out of whack with your 14 year old who's a gamer and thinking uh, I'm not so sure that esports will track like sports. Yeah, it's uh, just the, the question is, you know, where, I mean, where's I mean, all that attention going to go? I'd be more likely to bet on cooking shows and college cooking huh. shows. Like, oh. I actually think I think we have this idea because it's a game. We can make it like a sport. But I think there's a lot of activities that people are involved with that you can imagine becoming really big audiences. I mean, like if you want to look at one of the things that's happening right now in the TV world, I mean, the audiences on the what were the scripts um, networks that are now part of Discovery. And, yeah. HGTV, Food Network, like 
DIY, they're huge. The amount of people that are watching like British baking shows, like. <laughs> right. And, and, and also that sort of the tutorial is, is really the meat, the, the, the heart of a lot of yeah. YouTube right now is, you know, how do I do that? Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, simultaneously, simultaneously just see so much data. Uh, and so I'd love to know, like, are, what are you seeing that's, that's changing? And also like, how do we do, how do we do some kind of metric? Uh, some, uh, what's your Rosetta stone? Cause usually you talk about judge Judy. Uh, as as sort of the, the you know the the the, um, uh, the show that more people watch than Madison Avenue would necessarily want to recognize. So, like, what are you seeing in terms of changes in the simul media data as during coronavirus and while we're all at home? Yeah. So, so as you would expect with people at home a lot more, all media consumption is up, and TV is no different. So linear TV, old-fashioned TV is up about 12 to 15% across the US. And that's significant because that's, that's against more than four hours per person per day of 300 million people. So that's a lot of, a lot of, of increase. Um, initially, now here's what's interesting. Initially, it was really heavy on, on news. And news has been on news has been flat to down. I mean, CNN is maintaining up pretty high, but a lot of the other news is down. But the viewing didn't go down, so it tells you that there's a loyalty to the TV or a desire to watch TV, escape, be entertained, be engaged with others that the TV device is providing. So while news was heavy and is obviously heavier overall year over year, but not nearly as heavy as it was a month ago, hmm. um, reruns. Nothing, nothing, nothing is up more than reruns. Really? And, yeah. And it's, you know, if, if, you, if you look at people that watch Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime as a, 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 the, the, their heaviest viewers, they're also on linear TV. And when you want to know what they're watching on linear TV, they're not watching sports and they're not watching news. They're watching reruns. Why? Because they missed it because the first that's, time? That's, or? Largely what's, that's largely what's on the streaming services. I mean, Hulu probably has more original production minutes than anybody. And it's only 30% of their minutes are originals. 70% of their minutes are library. So when people stream, they're watching stuff that's already been made. They're watching it on their terms. And um, yeah, you mentioned the Judge Judy. I always like to tell people, and I, I even have an updated stat on this, but- Oh, bring it. Yeah. So Judge Judy, you know, she's just been on. She's been on, depending on what, where people are in the United States, she might still be on. She's typically on between one and two for an hour every day. And every day she delivers more than 10 million average viewers. And that's not 10 million views, to be clear, like in right. like, a, like a digital video. This is every single minute of that hour, on average, 10 million people are watching. So it may mm. actually be 15 or 18 million people watch during that hour. On average, it's 10 million. Um, if you look at the amount of ads, time people watch ads, that is 80% of all of the people watching ad time on all of the videos on all of YouTube in all of America all day. In one hour of Judge Judy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's why she makes $140 million a year, but she's retiring now. So, But the thing is, she did it yesterday. That's why I know what her numbers are. She did it last week. She did it last year. Um, Tiger King pretty hot right, right? Don't, nobody I, can stop talking about this show in my circle but i have a relatively uh you know limited so, circle so that's so the, that's the question 
So the first 10 days is when it blew out, blew it out because that tends to be the way these services work. It's like the early ones. So 36 million people watched it in the first 10 days. That's Judge Judy in three and a half days. Right. Judge Judy does that. She does that before Thursday afternoon is over. Uh, so, so it's special. It's not, not to, no question about it, but the relative scale. And this is the thing I go back to your question about if we don't have live sports, where does that money go? Where's the audience? Is the relative scale of TV still has not been matched by a lot of the other, um, not ad supported streaming content. I mean, clearly, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the impact of, of Tiger King. It's really significant as with any of these other streaming shows, but, uh, but, you know, one of the things people also miss, and this is something I was talking to a good friend of mine, Sam Bloom, who's the CEO of Camelot, mm. one of the smartest agencies out there by far. And an area to watch. I really love what's going on with the independent mid-sized, the regionals mm. like Camelot, because the big folks were competing against them with scale, but they've now, they're losing their scale advantages. And so they weren't investing in client success and expertise where folks like Camelot were, but they do a lot of sports ad buying. And Sam said to me, he said, you know, Whenever people talk about the Super Bowl or they talk about the NFL, they always talk about national ratings. So let's just take, you know, a game three of the season, assuming it comes back. But if you actually look at the cities with NFL teams, so you look at those 28 cities or 30 cities, whatever the number is right now, I guess 28 because there's a doubled up areas. Mm. It's a Super Bowl every week. So for local national numbers in places where there aren't NFL teams, there's a certain amount of watching, but nothing like where they the team is he said a lot of people miss that and so mm. that's where so much advertising happens where companies that have real local nexus banks you know retailers um, financial services and things like that and so you know that's one of these kinds of things that we're going to have this we'll continue to have these parlor fights about streaming versus tv for some time uh that's a great answer thank you um let's uh, speaking of sort of that kind of the just the disruption to the TV industry. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, this is one of my favorite quotes and it's from the, the 2008 financial, uh, the Great Recession. Uh, he said, you'll never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that is it's an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. So we, there's a, there's a potentially a, there's a, there's a massive disruption or like a, a clean sheet of paper, white sheet of paper moment for the television industry. We've, we've had upfronts being canceled uh, uh, or, or deferred, um, everything's changing. So, so if, if we're rethinking everything, if we have the opportunity to rethink everything, uh, what do you think that the television industry should be doing differently than uh, in the future than they're doing now? How, what can we, how can we take advantage of this reset? Yeah, well, I think there's a big opportunity and uh, it's interesting. Um, I believe Rom cribbed that from Paul Romer, the Nobel winning economist who was the chief yes. economist of the World Bank at that time. And he was playing on the, the, the Negro College Fund and said that a, a crisis is a terrible thing. Terrible to thing to waste. Yes, which is better I, so I, than the Dan, than the Dan Quayle version. So yes. <laughs> so, but I, I agree. I think that um, this is the time that the television industry and I would say the entire video advertising industry can retool. I think that this is a time to embrace the best of digital and the best of of of, of broadcast one too many delivery to the point you pressed me earlier when I was talking about how we would how we would imagine video game advertising. I wouldn't make it the same way we made digital in the beginning, that it was all person-based because I think you lose the value of the simultaneous shared consumption of media, a concept you know well since you were trumpeting this 
you know, more than 15 years ago and it's unique power. And uh, I borrowed it, as you know, and don't mind hopefully, and uh, the name Simul Media. So I think that we would, we would take the best of a better measured, better targeted, more automated advertising world. We would mesh that with more independent panel-based measurement. I think that there won't be a significant television ad upfront this year um, that makes a lot of people sad. They really focused on the pageantry. I think it should make people happy because I think that um, there will still be a certain amount of content where people are want to pre-buy it a year in advance because they really want to own it. But I think it's better for the television owners, the TV companies, the advertisers, the agencies, certainly the, certainly the clients to make decisions closer in time. <clears throat> so a, what I'd call a perpetual scatter market, a perpetual smart scatter market where it was managed better. And I think the one issue, and this is something that's been on the, you know, I know that the IEB has been focused on for some time, um, is it should it needs to solve the cross-channel cross measurement issues. We need to deduplicate um, audiences reached between TV, between over-the-top digital video, between the major platforms um, of Google and Facebook and Snap and others. And I think that um, that's what I hope happens in this crisis. There's enough parts of the business that are stalled right now that you don't have to change the tires going 50 miles an hour. You can change it at five. And I think one of the reasons that so much has stalled is because the industry got too good at selling sales advertising and not selling brand advertising and mm -hmm. not selling, not selling the reasoning for why you should care. And so, you know, if, an, if a company like Expedia is taking down four of the $5 billion expense, um, it's nice for many that that was all priced into the cost of goods sold. And so it didn't have to be, you know, you know, re-justified all of the time as a cost center. But, but it does mean that when the dollar of revenue disappears, you know, the 30 cents that was supporting it in advertising disappears too. And I think that we need to get back to, it, to talking to people as to why they should care. I and mean, I think Henry Ford is a great quote, said that um, stopping your advertising to save money is like stopping your watch to save time. I love that one. And I think um, that that's, that's how advertisers should be thinking. And I, I said, that, that's what we need to get back to from during this crisis and coming out of this crisis. Um, we have a question, and it's a question from our mutual friend, Peter Haran, uh, who oh. just posted. He said, the, uh, the U.S. ad market tracker for Q1 showed all ad spending was down at the end of the quarter, but TV even more than digital. Do you, Dave, expect this to continue? What do you expect by the end of Q2? Um, I think, you know, there was a significant change out in TV in the last three weeks of March. And so it, it, you know, audiences were down going into the quarter on year over year basis and, um, and Q1's typically down. Um, and then it dropped a lot more off and, and Q2 was down quite a bit. I think we're probably going to see a Q3 that is as soft as the Q2 was. So I would expect more of the same. I don't see any specific things that are going to come back and suddenly change that. I think that we will see a return in the fourth quarter, mostly because the, the audience volume is there. And so what's fundamentally going to have to happen is a resetting of price. And it won't be that hard because most of the TV companies 
we're expecting a 15% loss of audience this year. So mm. they'd already planning to increase their prices 15 to 20%. So if they have a, the same audience they had last year or more, they can now reduce their prices 15 or 20% or more from what they were going to have and still recover most of it. Um, but, but to the point you asked earlier about the, the sports, like it, it's all going to be moved around and those budgets are going to be decoupled from large agency upfronts and they're going to go client by client and it could be chaotic. And so Peter, as much as I'm telling you, like I'm actually, I'm talking like I actually know what's going to happen. It could be a mess. I think all we can know is that there's still going to be a lot of people watching TV throughout the year. And so it's not going to roll out in a predictable fashion such that it always has. It will not be as neat as one of Jeff Ramsey's eMarketer reports will make it look like. And we also have a bunch of other things uh, that are that are going to be changing the scenario. So we have Peacock launching, we have HBO Max launching. So this just there are going to be more more well-funded well, new players trying to aggregate audience. Yeah, but I mean HBO Max doesn't have ads, so that won't have That's any true. impact in the ad business. And Peacock is going to go slow because it doesn't have the Olympics as a big launching pad. And let's also not forget <clears throat> these services talk about subscribers. They don't talk about viewing minutes. Mm -hmm. I, um, I had a really good talk with um, <clears throat> Randy Freer, uh, a friend of mine who was at that point still running Hulu. Near, we were both on the way to CES and we saw each other in the airport. And I said, well, what do you think about you know, all this move of people building ad supported streaming services? I said, they're coming into your world. You guys have perfected. And he said, yeah. He said, but everyone forgets that in the streaming world, everyone's been focused on subscri subscribers. But in the advertising supported world, it's audiences and viewership, Correct. Judge Judy kinds of stuff. And that's hard. So hmm. those companies will not just have to launch to get someone to try download their app. They're going to have to be doing tune in promotion every single day. And you have to remember the television companies <clears throat> between direct inventory allocation and pure cash allocation put 22 to 25%, 28% of their business, of their revenue and inventory units are spent every single day to drive viewership, to maintain people are watching the ads, watching okay. to create volume around the ads they sell. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be different for, uh, for, for the streaming services indeed. So we're, we're on, we're at time, but I have my, the sort of traditional question that I love to ask people, which is, uh, you know, what are you doing to stay connected, to stay optimistic. I know that you have, I think your mom is in Pennsylvania. You're, you're in the Catskills uh, right now. Like, yes. What, what are you doing every day to, to, to make your, to connect and, and to, to stay sane? Well, um, fortunately we have fiber up here now. So I, I actually, I'm pretty connected because there's not a lot of mobile coverage where we are in the Catskills right now. But, you know, I'm used to talking to my mother almost every other day between meetings and between the subway and the office. So I have to find a new time. Uh, <laughs> to call her the, I have the wonderful advantage, this silver lining inside this terrible crisis that so many of us have discovered, which is I'm spending an enormous amount of time with my teenage daughters and my wife. I mean, I get to leave Zoom calls and go and make lunch and actually physically deliver the lunches to my daughters in their classroom, which is really in their bedroom, doing their online courses by Zoom as well. So that keeps me that keeps me pretty grounded and I know I'll cherish these times, you know, for the rest of my life.
Well, Dave Morgan, thank you for joining us on IB there. It's been, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm glad we had this, this chance to do it in front of everybody else. And we'll have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome, Brad. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, I'm going to go to credits in a moment, but I also want to take a moment to say that we lost one of our own this week. Uh, Tim McHale, industry stalwart, friend to all, a man who uh, had an amazing career, an amazing life, and a lot of tribulation, uh, and always greeted everyone with a gigantic smile, passed away this week. I'll miss him. Uh, we all will. And my, my thoughts and my, my, uh, my best memories go, Tim, to you and to your family. Um, on tomorrow's show, uh, I'm excited to welcome, uh, holy mackerel, where did it go? Ah, there it is. On tomorrow's IAB there. Uh, we're excited to welcome Lisa Uchneider. She is the CEO of Integral Ad uh, uh, Integral Ads. Uh, we're going to be talking about leading brands to safety during this time of change. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Uh, our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, Twifika Mahinadin, and Haley Bloom. You can see all of the episodes of our show at our archive page, which uh, we have just relaunched to make it easier to find you'll see a whole, a whole collection of spirited conversations like today's uh, with Dave Morgan. Please check it out. Um, I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Come back tomorrow because if it is 2 p.m. on a weekday, then you know it's time to IAB there. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>